Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Nick Lippis, and welcome to the Built for Trust podcast, where you get to hear from all the folks who are building and shaping AI enterprise infrastructure. Now, let's get right into it with our guests. Hey, Steve. How you doing? Hey, good. How are you, Nick? I'm excellent, thanks. I'm, uh, I'm good. Hey, I think it's congratulations, you know, kind of uh, moving out of an operational role. Yeah. Um, you know, and um, into, I'm not sure, I'm, um, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, uh, Steve 4.0. Mm. So I'm retired again. Yeah. Um, this time for good. Although I've learned never to say never. But, um, you know, I retired after Nasira yeah. and um, VMware. And then uh, that that held for five years, and then I went back to Aviatrix, which was yeah. which was great. But I really Nick wished I could have unseen what I saw, you know. And I saw this, huh. you know, the cloud happening, and I saw enterprise. I mean, we've had these conversations, you know, when I started four or five years ago. You know, if you yeah. listen to the pundits and the VCs four or five years ago, they tell you that enterprise IT is completely dead. Everything's going to be GitHub and the developer and Steve, you're a dinosaur. Yeah. Uh, it's all, it, 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 the IT has no value and it's, everything has to be open source and everything has to go through the developer. Yeah. And, and that was the case for a period there. But about five years ago, I call it the Cambrian explosion to cloud, was when uh, IT said, now hang on here. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're in a mess, like this whole cloud thing and all these developers going off and doing all these things. We're, we're putting our, our company at risk here. Yeah. And then they, they all came, all the developers all came running back to IT and said, we don't know what, what we did. It doesn't work. <laughs> and we just got hacked. <laughs> so guess what? All of a sudden, the companies all went back to the old, you know, the old IT guys and said, you need to save us. Yeah. I saw this kind of happening. I mean, I was you know, uh, investors and advisor in a bunch of companies, I saw all this happen. And, and I was like, my God, it's the revenge of the old guys. IT's coming yeah. back. This was five years ago. And everybody said, you're crazy. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, I knew the world was going to go multi-cloud. Everybody said, you're crazy. Yeah. It's all in the AWS. <laughs> so uh, do you not pay attention over the last 50 years? Like, it's not going to be that way. And sure yeah. enough, and so now, it, it'll be five years now, actually, that I started at Aviatrix and you know it was not meant for me to be you know another 10 year I'm, I just turned 60 Nick yeah you look great yeah thanks and yeah. it was not meant to be you know, I'm not gonna I'm not one of those guys who wants to die in the chair you know yeah I don't I don't, I don't uh define myself by my title yeah I like wearing t-shirts and being a nobody right and so uh, my, mm. my definition of me is not, but, you know, CEO of some company. I, I go do it because I had to go do it. And I saw mm. what was happening with cloud. And, and you know, I'm so excited about um, handing it off to Doug Merritt. I mean, you know, I don't know. We haven't talked since that. But like, like I'm a, I'm a one yeah. to hundred guy, one to hundred million. Mm. I'm a zero to one. Mm. You know me. We've known each I other know. for 30 something years. That's me. Doug yeah. is a hundred to billion guy. He can't do what I do, and I can't do what he does. Yeah. And so, you know. They're both hard. Yeah. And so for yeah. me, now it's like, okay, five years, good, good. And you know what Doug said? Because Steve, I'm going to do the exact same thing that you did. No one's going to have to 
push me out. I'm going to go do the same thing. I'm going to get to it to a billion dollars in sales. And hmm. we're going to go bring in the next person, right? Who can take it from a billion to 10 billion. I mean, look, Palo Alto, the other company I was at, did the same thing. Yeah. Right? With Mark McLaughlin to Nikesh. Nikesh has done a fantastic job. Yeah. So anyway, for me, um, it's, it's now I think I'm just going to do, you know, I've been reading this book called From Strength to Strength. Mm. And I'll stop talking, Nick, and let you. I know. I'm gonna. Well, I was gonna interrupt you, but like, oh, he's he's kind of on a roll. <laughs> Let him go. I'm, I'm pulling it in, Nick. I'm pulling it in. Is now is is you know for me actually is is coaching, right? Is mm. is I don't ever want to. I'm never gonna go back operationally. I'm 60. It's like done. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's been great. I loved it. Um, I really didn't want to. I had hoped. I I wished I had. Like I said, I wished I had not seen what I saw. But it was just such a great opportunity with Aviatrix. Like I. I I got to play this out. Once I saw yeah. it, I'm like, now what am I going to do? Not be involved? I know. Like, it's, uh, it, I had to. So, but I'm not going to get into that again. But what I do want to do is mostly be retired. I think we're going to talk about this. Work yep. on my health, work on nutrition, get back to being in, in, in great shape. Um, and then stay involved, but from a standpoint of, of coaching and, mm. and coaching CEOs that I enjoy and, 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 but not being on board. So when I quit Aviatrix, I was on boards. And the problem was when you're on a board, yeah. the CEO works for you. Yeah. I don't want to be on a board anymore. I want to, I actually want to work for the CEO and help navigate the, the, the CEO navigate how to deal with mostly shitty boards. I got to be honest with you. Right. Mm. And, and, and how do you do that? And, and, you know, I've got, 20 years, 30 years of, of navigating that. And a lot of these CEOs don't have someone that's a confidant because the board, they work for the board and you yeah. really can't go to the board and have that conversation that maybe you're embarrassed to have. And it's maybe tough. you don't have people internally that you can go and say, what should I do? And so I think that's what I call Steve 4.0 is that's going to mm -hmm. be the next 20 years for me is just probably being involved with people that I enjoy uh, in an industry. You know, it'll always be in this industry. I'm a IT yeah. infrastructure guy. And so long yeah. intro, but that's, that's what I'm up to. Finally came to acceptance, you know, yeah. <laughs> IT infrastructure. Yeah. So um, I wanted to actually um, rewind a little bit um, and kind of bring us like this point, you know? So it's like, I think we don't really hear that much from, you know, folks in our industry about their career paths. And there's a lot of folks who uh, learn that and kind of see what decisions that you will, that you made and others made that kind of brought you to like where you are. So, you know, just a little bit, you know, about kind of career path and kind of like maybe what were the big decisions you have? Because like we started, you know, uh, working together when you were over at Synoptics, was it? Yeah. Or was it Bay Network? Synoptics? No, yeah. it, it was Synoptics. I was a product manager. I actually was an engineer at Synoptics and then product management, I think, when we ended up meeting. Yeah. I was yeah. the Ethernet, and, Ethernet product manager. We only had one. I was it. Ethernet. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> there were a lot more that came came after yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, why don't you like, you know, just, you know, share a little bit about your your path. I'd say the number one thing is intention. Um, and I say this to my kids as well. And, and in fact, um, you know, it's interesting when I, uh, I think we're going to get into this into Juniper, you know, the first time I became CEO at Nasira, it was week one and 
I called Scott Krenz. I, my son was, I was a, a baseball coach and his son Drew was on my baseball team with my son. And so I knew Scott. And when I became a CEO, I called him up out of the blue. And I just said, Scott, you know, uh, you've been a pretty successful CEO at Juniper for 10 years. Uh, what words of advice would you have for me? And one of the ones, he gave me three pieces, but one of them was never underestimate the power of intention. Um, mm. And you treat everything, life and companies and everything else like a puzzle, meaning you take the puzzle cover and you put it up on the desk, right? And you look yeah. at it. And your puzzle is different than everybody else's puzzle. And what happens is life puts not just the pieces to your puzzle on your table, but everybody's puzzle. Mm. So you may be building, you know, a red barn, but all the pieces on your table, they're for a hundred other puzzles. So mm. you have to know what you're building to be able to look and go, that's one of my pieces. Versus most humans don't look at the puzzle dot box top. They don't know what they're building and they see all these pieces and they go, oh, look at this lovely green piece. That looks like a mm. nice piece. Maybe I'll take it. And then what they're left with is a hodgepodge and then they, they, they have no idea. So if you don't know where you're going, anywhere will get you there. So I'd say the, the most important thing is, and it's difficult, is the more that you can have a, a, an intention of where you're going, the mm. execution of that, and this relates to companies as well, is actually easy because now you know whether to go left or right because you have, you lock down where I'm going, you lock down where I'm at, and then you draw a line. And then mm. as you go along, you'll twist and turn not completely on that path, but in the general direction of that path, because you, yeah. you have directionality. And so when I was at Synoptics, you may remember him, but Bill Lanfrey was my, so we all worked yeah. for Bill Lanfrey yeah. um, in the product management team. Uh, and he ran marketing and I said, I want to be him. Mm. More specific that you can make the, the intention. It wasn't like, oh, I want to be a VP of marketing. No, I want to be Bill Lanfrey. How do I become Bill Lanfrey? And oh, by the way, he retired from Synoptics at like 42 or whatever mm. he was. And mm. I said, I want to be that guy. How do I become that guy? And I said, well, I was an engineer. And then I went into product, I went into product management because, I, again, I wanted to broaden my, my mm. base and learn new things. And I looked and I said, okay, what do I need to do in order to become that VP of marketing? And that pushed me to go into product marketing you actually go on the marketing side and when i did yeah. that all the people in product management what are you doing this mm. is our group product management runs a company and now you're going yeah, no, no, no. i got bigger ideas and just i don't want to run product management i want to run marketing and so having that intention i'd say is is probably the right thing and then something that probably most people don't do right now i would say the other thing is building a base I went to engineering. I, I was an engineer. I did engineering because my dad said it just, and I took electrical because it was the hardest. Mm. My dad said, it just proves that you're smart and you can learn. Bingo. You can do anything you That's want. That's really smart. Yeah. You could go to med school. You could do whatever you want to go and do, but, but this is build the base. I was an engineer, mm. not because I wanted to be an engineer. I was an engineer because I wanted to build the base. I went into no. product management, not because I wanted to be in product management because I wanted to build the base. I did marketing because I wanted to build the base. And then as you build the base, guess what happens? The building can go pretty high. Now all of a sudden you have the, the ability to become a CEO because you, 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 you've been in product management, you did market, you know go to market, you know all these things. So 
Yeah. It's delay of gratification, I would say, are the key things, right? Yeah. Don't try to, everything has its time. You can't short circuit these things and skip steps as John Jendrix, who's partner of mine for many, many years in Aviatrix and Force 10 and Blue Coat and other companies. You can't mm -hmm. skip steps. And so many kids these days want to skip steps and they go for yeah. the title and they're not ready. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's um, one that's really great. Intentions base. Actually, I didn't know that you had a double E, you know, degree, but yeah. I totally agree with your dad. You know, it's like, um, you know, I got a double E one because I like electrical, you know, um, right. that I like engineering, but I never practiced it, you know, um, what, um, but what, I, but what I found about going through that curriculum, it really teaches you how to think and it gives you discipline. And really it gives you a lot of respect, which I never thought about that. Like, you know, yeah. it's like, you know, when you're starting your career and, you know, and you have a, you know, a, a hard, uh, engineering degree, um, then folks say, okay, they, they know a thing or two, you know, um, and they know how to kind of get through some difficult, you know, courses and navigate. And I think yep. that that carries a lot of people far, you know, in their yep. career. And, um, you know, what I love that discipline. I love engineering, you know, um, my, my biggest, you know, um, maybe it's a regret, you know, is that I didn't apply engineering as I was taught, i.e. to build product. You yeah. know, I applied engineering to kind of build other things, Yeah. you know, and to be able to see things in the industry and comment and mm -hmm. to articulate them, you know, and that, you know, so if I have any kind of regret in my kind of journey, it was um, that I didn't uh, practice. And that's why I'm, I'm really proud of my son. My son is like, he's an engineer. He practices. He's yep. a freaking great engineer too. And I just, uh, yeah. Uh, really proud of that boy. And, um, you know, and I'm glad he's on that, uh, on that journey. Um, so base intention, those, those are really great. Um, so I want to kind of, um, but I, I think you still got to kind of go through one more, one or two more things like, okay, great. So you kind of go through the various different kind of disciplines, uh, kind of in corporate structure and engineering companies or companies that are building, you know, product, um, you you got great role models, you know, and then you get into like, you know, marketing, run marketing, um, you know, have a big impact in that. Um, and then when did you kind of transition to think about, you know, kind of heading up the companies? So I was a VP of marketing at Palo Alto Network. So I was the first VP of marketing at, at Palo Alto, um, did that for three years. And um, we made a CEO change. And... Um, the board wanted me to be the interim CEO for six months until we could find the next CEO. Hmm. Um, I was always a VP of marketing. That was always a, I viewed myself as a business executive that just happened to run marketing, right? Hmm. So I could run any function. I was an engineer, went to product management, did marketing, but I didn't consider myself a, you know, I was not a Marcom marketing person. I knew what we hmm. did. Right. And so, um, at, at, at Palo Alto, I spent most of my time actually on go-to-market, talking to customers, driving the business, you know, uh, training salespeople, really driving the business. So when I became interim CEO, really my job didn't change. Mm. Doing the same thing. In fact, I stayed on. I was still the VP of marketing. I just spent 90% of my time as the interim interim CEO. And it turns out I loved it. 
Mm. And I think product management is actually the best training ground to become a CEO because you have all the responsibility and none of the authority. No one works for you. You can't mm. tell anyone what to do, um, yeah. but you have the, probably the greatest influence in, the, in all the company because as a tech company, it is all about the product. You are the center of the solar system. Everything revolves around you. If anything goes wrong, and we were taught this at Synoptics, it's your fault. Sales mm. can't sell it, it's your fault. Marketing market's the wrong thing, your fault. The mm. engineers have a bug, your fault, You're, right? It's all about you as defined as that, as that product CEO. They're the networking guys. <laughs> so yeah, it, it, it's true and you want that. And so at, at Palo Alto in the early days, and plus now this is, I was, we'll say, probably in my... I was probably in my 40s at that point. I had been through a bunch of different startups. I dealt with a bunch of different boards. It was the oh. perfect time for me because I had gone through a lot of all this stuff. And, and it wasn't like, oh, my God, I'm a CEO. And now I don't, I don't I've never even been to a board meeting or I don't even know what to mm. do as a CEO. I know exactly what to do. Right. Oh. And so it was it was perfect. And then what I realized is I kind of looked and I said, so what? What's your deal, Mulaney? Like I would say to some people, what's your deal? Like, yeah. is that it? Am I going to be, is VP of marketing the pinnacle of what I'm going to do? Because I had been doing it for 10 years. And I kind of like, is that it? If I'm going to mm. make this move, I gotta, I gotta, I'm going to make this move now. And, and in fact, being at Pan kind of showed me, gave me a little bit of the, you know, backseat with the fake steering wheel. You're kind of the CEO, but not really, right? <laughs> You're just the interim CEO. No one expects anything from you, right? And, and I, and I loved it. And I said, I'm going to go do this. Um, and I love Palo Alto networks. I mean, mm -hmm. it wasn't great like, company. yeah, I mean, and even then they were great, you know, and, but, and look, the same guys are still there. Lee Claridge and Nir Zook and Rajiv Batra. I mean, the same guys are still there. A lot of people are still there. It's a great company. Mm -hmm. But I, I just said, I, I just have this thing inside of me that I, I need to go run my own thing. And that's when, that's when I went to Nasira. Yeah. Uh, and that that that's what kind of changed for me um, was that pan when I would say I was given the, you know, backseat fake steering wheel interim CEO that kind of gave me the confidence, I would say, to say, you know, I can I can go do this. Yeah. Nice way to kind of like, you know, um, you know, no pun intended, kind of back in, you know, to be yeah, a, and, you know, and, and do a little try and buy. Yeah. 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 No, that was yeah. Um, no, that was that was really a great opportunity. Great. Great that you seized that. Um, Okay, great. You know, and obviously we know that you did, you know, uh, really great at Nasira, made a, a huge impact. You know, it's like, you know, the way that I kind of measure that is that look at all the corporations that have kind of virtualization networking teams, you know, and that was really all because of Nasira um, yeah. and, um, and, and that acquisition by VMware. Um, and then uh, Aviatrix is on this really great um, um, trend line. We're, we're going to talk about that, you know, in a little bit. But I think I want to kind of touch on one one thing that we never really talk about in our industry, and that's um, kind of health and wellness. You know, it's like um, like we're both in our 60s, you know, now. And um, and so you've always been in, you know, in, in great shape and, um, you know, um, both kind of mentally and, you know, and obviously in, um, physically. So um, I'm kind of curious, like, what's your routine? You know, how do you kind of view that, you know, like. There's yeah. nutritional parts and there's like exercise parts, you know? Yeah. So is that a big part of your day, you know, or to start? Yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I mean, I'm, um, I, I don't know. I, I, it's probably as you get old, as you get older, Nick, you, you get into a lot of this stuff, but I'm into all these different 
biohacking things. And now I got time, right? So I, I walk a couple hours every day. Why? Well, I got the time, right? And so I work out every day. I, I, since I, you know, uh, retired, I've lost about 12 pounds, which is great. And not that I was heavy, but you know, every year you gain a pound or so. And all of a sudden, 10 years later, you're like, wait a minute, I got an extra 10 pounds. And so you do that, you feel much better. You can start, it opens up to all the pants you had, you weren't able to wear anymore. <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden your wardrobe opens yeah, up. Yeah, my wardrobe dramatically <laughs> increases. Um, and what I, and then I get on, like there's so many podcasts now, like, like I just get on these podcasts and, and I'm in Boston a lot and I have this whole loop mm. across, you know, Longfellow Bridge and over to MIT and, down and around the Charles and yeah. rain or shine or whatever. Mm. I'm all, and, and I just get, put the earphone, I take two or three earbuds <laughs> with me and I <laughs> pop them in and they're fantastic because you go for a couple hour, two hour walk yeah. and you're, and you're being, you're listening to these different podcasts. So I, I listen to a lot of kind of like nutrition exercise. And I'd say the main thing for me, like on that side is just, you know, I would say a couple things. One is as you get older, you have, you have to have muscle. There's, there's, they, they still don't even really, I think, comprehend the, 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 the benefits of having muscle, right? You don't want to yeah. be skinny. You don't want to be skinny fat. You, you, as you get older, you've yeah. got to have muscle. That's, that's the lifeblood that keeps you young. And then I would say the other thing is you, you got to lose weight, right? Like all your markers get better. If you lo go lose 12, yeah. 15 pounds, everything gets better. And yeah. healthcare today is not healthcare, it's sick care, right? Like, yeah. I mean, we're engineers. And so what we try to do is solve the problem. Most of the time, doctors, I mean, nothing to slam doctors, my brother's a doctor, but they just try to give you a pill, right? Yeah. And let's load you up with every pill and treat the symptom. It's like, well, wait a minute. Like, what's the problem? They, 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 no, we, you have that symptom, we give you this pill. And, and, and I, you know, I, I think, you know, Diet in terms of, you know, things like, I mean, sugar is, you know, uh, bad, no bad sugar. Bad. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it used to be of, salt. It used to be salt was like the really uh, kind of the enemy. It's not. And, it, you know, and it, found it's, like, it's like everything yeah. else, you know, like I heard this thing. Um, eat real, would somebody summarize it in some podcast, eat real food, you know, yeah. mostly vegetables and not a lot of it. Right. Yeah. You overeat. Don't eat that much. Um you know, yeah. eat real food with, with, if it has an ingredient list, be careful, right? What's yeah. in the ingredient of fish and meat and, you know, yeah. broccoli, nothing, right? Yeah. And one item, you, eat real food. If you eat Good real protein food, and carbs, you can actually eat a lot. Yeah. You know, so what, but, uh, which podcast have you been, uh, been listening to? Rich Roll. Uh -huh. um, there's a, there's a great, a podcast I listen to called Founders, mm. um, yeah. which I forget the guy's name. He, he's an, a biography nut. Um, and he has yeah. 300 episodes from, you know, all these biographies. He reads them. And then his podcast is he summarizes them for you. Oh, how cool. Okay. So look That's that good. one up. Put, so, that, yeah, put that on my list. Yeah. It's super, fa it's super fascinating. I mean, you know, like people's like, a lot of people say this, you know, like you, you, you know, the best lessons are in a $30 history book, right? Like to listen mm. to, you know, um, 
you know, Charlie Munger or whatever, just, or, or any of the founding fathers or anybody, when you think about like entrepreneurs, like, can you yeah. think of any better entrepreneur than the founding fathers of the United States? Like the, the odds yeah. they went against, it's, 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 it's amazing. And they were so young, oh, you know, like in their thirties, you know, it's like really, you know, like going this. up against the world power of the, you know, England and they, they, yeah. they had nothing, you know, nothing. But anyway, just, but they had everything <laughs> listening. to I love hearing about other people's stories. Mm. There's always something to, to, to learn from that. Yeah. I've been uh, actually, I, I was, I plugged into uh, um, the Huberman lab, you know, and um, oh, I listened to that one too. It gets too technical yeah. sometimes. He, he's a little, yeah. And also a little bit more of a kind of a policeman, <laughs> you know, yeah. telling you what not to do, but I did give up alcohol, you know, because of that, you know, it's like you my did, kids were yeah. pushed. Yeah. Like I never had, you know, really a problem except for like, you know, blacking out and waking up in the back of a car sometime every <laughs> once in a while. You know, but <laughs> I'm only kidding. Um, but oh it's like, God. but I, my kids were kind of pushing me in that direction, you know, because like, it's amazing. Like, you know, like the 20 and the 30 years old, you know, they really, uh, after they get out of college, you know, they're not really that into like alcohol anymore. And so they've been pushing me in that direction. And so like, I actually listened and, you know, and, um, and I gave it up and it's like, I feel so much better. That was like, a big, know. yeah, that was a big part of me losing, I would say the initial 10 to 12 is. So the problem, Nick, is, you know, every night's a Saturday night for me. I know, yeah. So I've been beautiful traveling. thing. Well, it, it is, but it isn't. Yeah. Because the problem is, guess what you do? You have, you have a couple of drinks every yeah. day of the week. Why? Because yeah. it's Saturday night. We go out yeah. to dinner every night. And, well, you have a drink before dinner. You have a drink with dinner. Yeah. And... Every all of a sudden, you've had you know fourteen to twenty drinks during the week. Yeah. Now I drink. That's a lot. Maybe, yeah. I have maybe one drink a week. Yeah. Yeah, Makes I'm about huge. there. Yeah, yeah, huge. Yeah, absolutely huge. Yeah. Um, actually, you mentioned a book that you're writing. I'm I'm kind of reading uh, Outlive right now. Um, oh, I have, so, a, uh, I have a stack. The other problem, my ability to yeah. buy books far exceeds my ability to read them. <laughs> Mine too. I am not a book reader. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so I've been actually, so when I'm working out, I've been listening to books, you know, uh, is kind of like my That's way to consume That's why podcasts great because you can yeah. walk and get something done. Yeah. I haven't done the yeah. listen books on tape. I haven't done that. I'll have to try that. It's just yeah, it's like, you know, I'm, I just started, you got to be really into it. The only problem is that listening to that book while you're working out is kind of depressing. You know, it's like it's just oh, he's yeah. giving you all the statistics about like heart disease and cancer and Alzheimer's, you know, and it's like oh, man, I'm trying yeah. to like better myself here, you know. Yeah, it's like listening to politics. You just get depressed. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's tough. All right. Uh, anyway, so that, that was, you know, it's great. So um, I wanted to maybe let's kind of talk a little bit about industry stuff, you know, yeah. so. Like this week, kind of found out about the intention of HPE to buy Juniper. And um, I don't know, when I first saw it, you know, my, you know, I scratched my head. I'm like, huh, I wonder why, you know. Um, and um, because also, I, you know, and so I had a couple of different reactions. You know, one was that, all right, um, uh, Juniper went IPO in 1999, which is that golden era, you know, of going IPO before the dot-com uh, bust. And they had a fabulous IPO you know, kind of, I think, gave them around a $5 billion market cap, you know, and now HP's, if the rumors are, are true right now, uh, the purchase price is around $13 billion, yeah. which, um, you know, which is a little, you know, I, I don't know, you know, maybe some people are really happy about that. I think it's a little bit disappointing that to have a 4% compound annual growth rate and a, 
industry that was booming, you know, for all that yeah. time. Um, but like, you know, say la vie, but I, the fit within HP, um, obviously it signals a, um, a big re-entry into the networking industry and, um, and to, um, you know, provide um, services and support and products into the service provider, you know, space. And uh, Juniper has been surprisingly making some inroads into the enterprise marketplace uh, over the last, you know, couple of quarters. Um, I thought the last quarter their enterprise revenue actually exceeded their service provider revenue. Wow. So I, you know, I thought, you know, so uh, it's always hard to like be the Monday quarterback, you know, on these kinds of things. Yeah. You just don't know what's going on within the companies that are kind of driving that acquisition. But, you know, but my, you know, I'm still kind of scratching my head. Is that the right thing? Because I think they could have bought so many other companies, you know, that that maybe would have been, you know, on a, a higher growth rate. But anyway, so what do you think? Yeah, I mean, Juniper hasn't been relevant in what, 20 years? I mean, I don't know, what, 15 years? I mean, since Scott Krenz left, right? Yeah. So they've just been in the, what I call the bottom of the bathtub since then, right? So, you know, you know I mean, they're at high, they had a $100 billion market cap, right? Mm. And, I mean, that was during the dot com stuff. So, um, you know, I guess my view on it is I think it's a big thing for HP to chew. I mean, it's almost a merger of equals, right? I mean, yeah. I, HPE's market cap is what 20 or you know yeah. 18 or so it's it's you know and mergers of equals I know from synoptics and wealthly do not work mm. um so most likely it'll be a disaster integration because they'll probably do what everybody does and they'll try to be all nice and okay well if they were smart they'd go in and fire the entire juniper executive right mm. Because, but humans don't do that because they want to be nice. So, okay, well, we'll pick one of ours and one of yours and one of ours and one of yours. And then you guarantee that it will be failure because who's in charge? Mm. Juniper yeah. thinks Juniper's in charge and HP thinks HP's in charge. And then they fight for two years. That's what we did yeah. at Synoptics and Wellfleet. Um, doesn't work. So um, most likely it won't work because mergers of equals just don't work. Mm. Um However, from a thesis perspective, it's actually not a bad, I think actually it's not a bad idea because look, Juniper's revenue is very high margin revenue. Um, so they're going to get, they're going to get that. HBE's got to do something because yeah. they've been irrelevant ever since they were born, right? Nobody cares about them. And I think what's going to happen is, again, it goes back to kind of my thesis, which is networking is a system, Nick. We know that infrastructure is a system. It's not, it's not this and that and this and that. It's no. Networking is an end-to-end -end system. Now, when you start sprinkling AI magic dust into every software, it's not like there's an AI app. Every app is an AI app, right? Mm. What's going to happen is you're going from, and you'll remember this, we're going from centralized cloud mm. to distributed cloud. And cloud means not just AWS, you know, Azure, Google, Oracle. Yeah. It means everything. On-prem campus, data, on-prem data centers, Equinix data centers. It means everything. I'm going to need a fabric across all of that mm. end to end. So there is no WAN. There is no LAN. There's no data center. There's centers of data everywhere, and I need to stitch all this together. Yeah. You're going to need routers, Nick, right? And so at some point, yeah. the world turns physical. 
It's not all yeah. software and all digital. The real that is world true. Is analog. The real yeah. world is the edge, right? Moving bits around takes Moving hardware. Around. And <laughs> guess what? As the world goes from centralized cloud to distributed cloud, why? Because I've got all this data everywhere and I'm going to move my compute to where my data is as opposed to moving all this data to where the compute is centrally. It's just, that's how networking is. It's a distributed system. And when, with that, now I'm going to need end-to-end -end system. And if you're HPE, you know, Juniper is actually not a bad property to own in terms of the WAN, right? And that thesis, it, uh, at that thesis, it does make sense because like HP has been really kind of messaging, you know, the marketplace around kind of NAS and multi-cloud connectivity. Uh, obviously, they've been talking an AI story for a while. Juniper actually has an AI story with the MIST acquisition, you mm -hmm. know, um, that, that, that they did. Um, I think everyone is still trying to figure out what cloud edge is, you know, um, and it's, you know, obviously there's lots of different definitions, you know, but uh, um, like uh, I kind of view FedEx as a really great example of cloud edge, you know, it's like if you can really reduce the latency uh, and get applications and you get applications closer to like, you know, where, uh, where they're needed, then uh, you can actually make big impacts in the business model. You know, you yeah. can, uh, you can tell like, okay, when, um, where that huge fleet of theirs, like when tires need to be inflated, because so, that's going to be able to save them a certain amount of money uh, in fuel. And you multiply that across millions, you know, of, um, of devices where you get to understand like, you know, where those particular, um, uh, that fleet is in terms of their maintenance cycles. So I think there's, there's a lot um, that kind of cloud edge will actually do for, um, for particular verticals and businesses. Mm -hmm. um, but I think they're different, you know, and I yeah. think everyone's trying to kind of figure that out and maybe they might be glamoring on to particular industry sectors um, to first address those. Cause there isn't, as far as I can see, there isn't a general purpose kind of cloud edge. Like it, there was for like cloud computing um, where you basically buy hosting and you basically build applications and you create a kind of yeah, context I mean, around that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, back when I saw multi-cloud five years ago, this is this is the the hundred X multi-cloud, right? So multi-cloud yeah. means hybrid, multi, on-prem, and you're going to have all kinds of different clouds. And it's not like, and you're right, it's not, you know, AWS. I mean, there that's in the core, right? But out at the edge, you want it to look like cloud, right? And so it's yeah. The whole point is not connecting to the cloud; it's actually extending the cloud out. How do I extend that cloud operational model? And that software model out to where all my computing infrastructure is. And that's the thing that AI is going to do is you're not just going to have, you know, a VPN from some branch, right? It's not just network connectivity. Yeah. I'm going to put apps out there, Nick. It's a computing yeah. infrastructure. I'm going to have apps, storage, networking. You know, by the way, you're going to have it's even greater security concerns now because yeah. it's a distributed infrastructure as opposed to centralized. Right. Yeah. So I think, and I have no idea if HPE's thinking this or not, but but like that 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 isn't a bad thesis because when you do that, it's going to put severe demands on the network and network security because you now have a very distributed architecture. We saw this with the internet. Yeah. Right. You know, it, the, the it, 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 eighty the eighty twenty rule flipped. 
right? Where 80% of the traffic used to be in the land, right? Synoptics. Yeah. And 20% will go out to the WAN. Why? Because you, you had your own little data center and everything was right here and everything. You never went outside of your company. As soon yeah. as the internet yeah. flipped, 80% went outside and 20% was inside. And that basically catapulted Cisco because now routers become really, really important. Yeah. Now on the same thing, the cloud started the same way where everything was inside. In fact, most people just wanted one cloud. Why? Keep everything in there, right? Mm. And then slowly it became, well, I got to have a couple, couple other clouds. But it wasn't because IT said I wanted to do that. It was because the company just started using other clouds, but they did it begrudgingly. Now what's happening as you go distributed, it blows up that 80, instead of 80% inside the cloud, now it's the other way around. Yeah. Where there's great confusion and transformation is great opportunity now. Yeah. I think we're at the same moment like we were in 1998 for networking where yeah. people like Juniper actually become important again. Yeah. Because it is now about building, I got to build highly reliable, fault tolerant, high performing network infrastructure on a global scale. Yeah. And it's got to be trusted. I think like this era, you know, that we're getting into, and I totally agree with you because like a couple of thoughts, conflicting thoughts in my head. Uh, one, like the only thing I would add to like what you were just talking about is like this, this generation of infrastructure that we're building has got to be highly integrated with security so that it's trusted. You know, I think that's the key thing that we missed in the previous um, generation of infrastructure. So I think this has got to really be integrated security. So it's, it's, it's an infrastructure that the business can trust, the developers can trust, even the infrastructure people, you know, can trust is, um, is going to be secure. So I think, I think that's, you know, that's really key and, um, and, and important. I think going back to like your, you know, kind of 1998 timeframe, you can kind of see this, you know, it's like, there are so many now different kind of technologies and building blocks, you know, so whether that is like, kind of like, private 5G and connecting into public 5G, whether it's like low orbit satellite, you know, communications, mm -hmm. um, utilizing existing broadband stuff. It's like, um, it's SD-WAN, it's kind of the carriers moving into this space, like trying to offer like network as a service, which mm -hmm. I've been starting to think more in terms of like SASE models than in kind of traditional networking models. Um, there's, um, there's all, and then there's all these different use cases. It's the cloud edge use case. It's like, you know, just the, it's the whole, Kind of expansion of the multi-cloud um, uh, story that you know that you just mentioned uh, a second ago, and then I think there's another kind of like layer on top of this, and that is you know you alluded to it before around AI, and I think what we're starting to see is that, um, and we've known this for a while, is that while like AI has gotten a lot of kind of the public attention, like within corporations, the cost and the security concerns uh, outweigh their interest in utilizing public AI, so. That's yeah. driving private, you know, AI implementations. And so now it's like, you know, we have LLM models that are going into like private data centers and, you know, the whole data center build out for AI is something that's going to happen. So I think there's a fundamental change, you know, that's, that's occurring because um, kind of the opportunities that this yeah. technology uh, cycle has, uh, is affording uh, to the yeah. marketplace. Uh, and I think we need, I think we're in desperate need of design patterns and, um, guideposts to show how do we build this stuff. And yeah. um, the needs are there. I don't think we really have a really great models right now to build them. Like, like Stephen, um, when you were over at Synopsys, you know, and, and at Bay, the, that whole three-tier architecture emerged. 
yeah. that was the design pattern. Everybody knew it. Everybody can trust it. It was de-risked. You know, you can um, deploy quickly because you know that others were doing the same thing. Uh, we don't have that, you know, today. We actually, we really need kind of design patterns. Um, and yeah. uh, not just one, the, a building block of design patterns yeah. um, to help well, what, facilitate this. You know, that's what I, I actually think this year is going to be a pretty interesting year because, and I think the HPE Juniper thing is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, you know, if you look at the market caps of some of the big, you know, Cisco still has a $200 billion market cap. You know, Arista, yeah. $75 billion market cap. Like, Jay Shree's done a fantastic job. Who would have ever thought they'd be $75 billion market cap? Yeah. 75. Uh, Palo Alto, teetering in $100 billion market cap, right? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, you look at look at those companies and to what you had said, security belongs integrated where? Network security belongs integrated into the network. This is what we did in Asira. This is how NSX became a $4 billion business for VMware, save VMware. Why? Because we integrated network security into the network. We, do, we did the same thing at Aviatrix, right? We're integrating network security into the fabric of the network such that it's just, it's just part of the, as you add network, you add security. It's not a bolt-on. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that, of course, is what's going to happen. And so I think what's going to happen is, you're going to have networking people getting into security and they're going to have security people getting into network. Why? Because they have to. They they're have not to. two different things. So Palo Alto Networks is going to have to become real true to their name, a networking company. Yeah. Like, now, well, it's security integrated into the fabric of the network. Sure. Cisco, right? They, they, they've, you know, they've made some the acquisition. Splunk acquisition is like, is huge on that area. And also there's Palo Alto has, a, there's going to be a collision of these people, maybe it's HPE mm. Juniper. What do you think that's going to say to Cisco and Arista and Palo Alto Networks? Oh fuck! I don't know if I can say mm. that on your podcast. Yeah. What it's does okay. this mean for us? It means, mm. uh, you know, Antonio is going for it. Yeah. Shit, we 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 penciled them off as dead. Now I got to worry about them, right? I know. And, well, it's and, either like we can have them. Sorry. What are you gonna say? Uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Sorry about no, that. Um, no, I was, I was just, you know, I, you know, just remember like so many times having conversations with the folks at Arista and with um, Cisco, and it's like, you know, they don't even want to be associated in the same industry as Juniper, <laughs> you know. But now that's going to change. Well, let me tell that's you though, change, but, yeah. but they're gonna, they're gonna, they're also gonna have to compete with Palo Alto. So what do you think? So Palo Alto, yeah. so put yourself in their shoes. So you're in the cash. You've, you've, you've grown the business from 18 billion to 100 billion dollars. You've done a fantastic job. Yeah. Great job. Mm. What have you done for me lately? Mm. How are you going to get it to 200 billion? You now have to yeah. grow a hundred billion dollars the, over the next 45 years to be viewed successful. Right. Yeah. What are you going to do? Mm. You've got to go into a different, you, you, you can't just keep consolidating the security market space, which is a shitty market. Right. Okay. Yeah. And you're the, the best at it. So you've done a fantastic job. Now, what are you going to do? Yeah. Right. It's um, he's going to have to go after the two hundred billion dollar market cap of Cisco. Yeah, it's it, it's hard. Yeah, because you can kind of view Cisco's acquisition of Splunk 
because Splunk actually had a higher growth rate, obviously, than Cisco does. Um, yeah. And so, um, so you can kind of see why that acquisition makes sense. But also, that's a really great example of what we're talking about, that integration of security uh, and networking, yeah. even though that's more in kind of the operational center than it is in the actual fabric, you know, of the network. But also Palo Alto, you know, they picked up uh, what Cloudgenics, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, so they've already been making you know, acquisitions in the networking space, but I totally agree. And I think Fortinet also um, has made acquisitions in, in the networking area. I, I agree with you. I think that's only going to accelerate uh, during the year. Um, it's, um, I think we're starting to see like maybe the building blocks, you know, of these, uh, these merged companies starting to offer solutions uh, that yep. fully integrate like networking and security. I think that's the only, I don't have much criticism for like the folks like, like Vince Cerf and, um, Paul Petris and, um, you know, all the folks who were doing the IETF stuff in the early days, I, I think the only criticism, and they would, they would have the same criticism is that they just totally ignored security, you know, and they didn't, didn't include care. it. Yeah, yeah, no, it was all about connectivity. We didn't care about security. Yeah, so yeah, because we didn't imagine yeah. that there would be such bad actors out there, right. you know, it's like, what? Well, <laughs> you what, what do is, um, I don't know who was I was listening to says you, um, you know, you, 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 you create the chaos first before you rein it in, meaning oh. it's like mm -hmm. a lot of the people like with, a, you know, there's a little, tremendous amount of people who want to regulate AI and do all this stuff. And like, like you, oh, I don't know, it's John Furrier who says this all the time oh. and, and, and says, you, you, you got to like, you can't regulate something first. You got to create it first, right? You got to mm -hmm. create something out of nothing. Then you, then you rein it in. Right. Yeah. And so that's kind of how the Internet was, was it, it wasn't hugely regulated and all this because it would have died. Right. You just die under all this regulation. And yeah. so you kind of have to let it go and, and create and then and then you rein it in. Right. You got to yeah. let a little chaos happen and then rein in the chaos later. Yeah. Well, I really hope that with this new cycle um, and I'll, I'll use like your kind of view of that, like, you know, centralized and distributed. I think when we first did the internet, it was a highly distributed system and, you know, it was kind of mm -hmm. equal playing field for all. Yep. And then we got like, you know, browsers in, into the marketplace. Then, then the biggest companies, the littlest companies could look like the biggest companies. And it was a great equalizer, a great democratization of the economy. Um, but then as we went into the cloud area, we got all centralized, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so I hope that this next cycle where we're starting to do more distributed, and cloud yeah. doesn't mean just like a four companies, but it really means right. your company. It means what's happening on that edge piece, those existing large cloud providers. And that kind of provides a little bit more democratization, yeah. you know, back to like, you know, to, I mean, to the industry. Like every enterprise. I mean, you know, you with Onug, you talk to all the large enterprises all the time. Mm -hmm. They're horrified of being beholden to AWS or Azure. They don't want to be locked into any one of these people. They've seen this game before. And if yeah. they start moving all their AI data into one of those clouds, they are never going to get that out. Yeah. And so they are, they want their infrastructure. And honestly, they want to commoditize the cloud mm -hmm. providers and keep that level of control. It's like yeah. federal government versus state government, right? All the, mm. all the enterprise com companies are like Texas, right? No, we want to regulate ourselves. We want to, you know, govern ourselves. We, we want a small federal government, right? And do this is what you need to focus on, but we want to be able to handle this. That's most of the top, you know, global 500 enterprises say, no, I need to be in control of what I'm doing because 
you don't oh. care about me, right? I yeah. do. And, and I want to leverage tools that I want to leverage, but I want to create my global infrastructure. Yeah. And this is just, this is, it, it, it always, it cycles, right? Everything's a sign curve of centralized and distributed. And, and I think it's swinging back to the enterprises now being under control and saying, yeah. no, 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 no. I need to control this. I'm going to have my own platform and I'm going to build my global infrastructure and I will leverage what I need to leverage underneath that. But I'm in control. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I think like there, the big mistake that was made five years ago was the trade-off between convenience and control. Right. Yeah. It was convenient, you know, for the developers to write applications within kind of a, a public cloud environment, but they didn't yeah. realize how much control they were losing. And I think once they all woke up to that, they gave up all control. Yeah. 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 They were like, okay, time out, you know, here. And I think, you know, what we saw kind of post pandemic was the big pullback. Right. You know, and it's like, you know, you see growth rates, you know, that were projected to be like 30% on top of like massively large bases of what, like a half a trillion dollars in cloud spend, right. um, you know, during the cloud era, it's like, you know, like 15%, like that being cut in half, it's still big money, but like, that's, that's a big haircut, you know, in terms of growth for those companies. So I think, you know, it's, it's, so I'm with you, there's this big kind of transition that transformation that's happening. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how kind of the private, I think the AI piece is actually really important from an infrastructure point of view, mainly for control, uh, because like one, you know, they're not going to like large enterprises are not going to be shuttling data back and forth, no. you know, between their, um, you know, um, their data centers and the cloud providers. Um, and also it's like, it opens up an attack vector, you know, all yeah. the questions that they're concerned about are also now all of a sudden going to be like, you know, in a little company that can't even govern itself, like chat, like, um, like open AI, you know, yeah. it's like that, you know, that ain't going to happen. Right. So, all right. So I have like actually one, one last question right. and, um, or topic really the IPO market, you know, it's been yeah. closed for a long time. Um, yeah. it might've been, I'm not sure if this is accurate or not, but it seems like it's the largest time the window has been closed that it I can feel, remember. It feels like a long time. I'm, I don't know if it's, there's probably been other times, but it's been when it's been similar for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's back to what how the, it used to be. It's going to be a tremendous amount of startups that are going to die, right? They're not going to get any more money. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think uh, quality is always there'll always be a flight to quality. In fact, in some ways, it's it's better for quality companies because it allows you to further differentiate yourself versus when you know, like I was like when I was you know engineering school, I loved it when the average test score was twenty six. Yeah. Then you get For an sure. 88, you can get an 88 yeah. and it's, it, it differentiates the people that are smart from the, from, from the, from the pretenders, nothing yeah. worse than an average score of 96. Yeah. It's one know. like little minor, you know, error and you get a 94, you're below average. So you know, I yeah. always wanted super hard tests. Hmm. And, and <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm with you on that. Well, but you know, but, but now you really get the, you get to get the separation, right? Yeah. Oh. And, um, but I think this is the way the market is now is it's super hard test. And so it, yeah. it provides that separation, I think of the quality. So the quality companies will go IPO. Um, mm -hmm. I think you're even seeing it now. People look, we've been in a little bit of defensive mode for the last couple of years with mm -hmm. COVID and this and that, and, you know, valuations coming down and, but I'm already, I'm already seeing it. You know, a company I'm on the board of and working with Zadata, they they just raised around a bunch of money and it's up 30% from what they raised a year ago. So yeah. 
good quality companies have no problem getting money at, at increased valuations. Uh, bad companies are not going to get any more money. Even average companies are not going to get any more money. It's a good thing. Flush it all out. Um, yeah. And I think um, as long as people just get that expectation of what the, what the value is, but if you're going to go IPO, okay, maybe you could have gone IPO at, you know, 15 billion and now you're going at five or 10. Who cares, right? Yeah. Take a long-term view and, 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 it, and, and grow the business, right? It doesn't matter, right? So get over your valuation that you think you had. If your business is strong and you're generating, and it's back to the way it used to be, which is you're going to have to, you know, generate free cash, right? Like it's no longer about, so yeah. you're going to get rewarded for lower growth and profitability than you are for mm. higher growth and unprofitable. And yeah. I think everybody just did a, did a, a flip to that and it has to kind of clear its way out. And I, I think soon people, I think good companies are going to go IPO. I don't, I don't think it's going to be a rush like where the window opens and now hundreds, I think it'll still be the the good ones and there'll be good yeah. businesses. And I think that'll happen this year. And, mm -hmm. you know, hopefully next year, 2025 is even better. Right. I mean, it yeah. seems like it should be. Uh, I think that's, that's probably the right time frame. I think Stripe is kind of like what a lot of people are looking for. You know, waiting, like, yeah. Yeah. You know, to see, you know, see really what Stripe comes out with and what their evaluation is. And, um, um, so I'm kind of actually, I'm, I'm rooting for them, you know, that they uh, actually have a good experience and, uh, you know, a good IPO. And I think that tech, that I mean, look, text, I think, you know, um, you know, I know Dan Ives, I'm a huge, huge Dan Ives fan, mm. you know, and, you know, he's cheering every chance he gets on CNBC mm. to say this is the biggest transformation in the last 30 years. And, you know, he's mm. always been that, you know, kind of positive, but I, I do agree. I mean, you, again, you look at, you look at the market caps, you look at Palo at 100, you look at Arista at 75 billion. Yeah. And look at Microsoft at closing in on 3 trillion. Yeah. That's market like, caps are big. Yeah. You're telling me for tech, there's an opportunity in there, right? Like it's, there's, there's, there's like, yeah, big market there, caps. Yeah. There's like such a, a kind of pyramid um or i'm not even sure if it's a pyramid <laughs> you know it seems like like a skyscraper yeah I think <laughs> you're know? Right. yeah you know and it's yeah. like the base isn't wide enough you know yeah. um and so we need we need to kind of start filling out that base yep. well well steve i think this was like really great you know um good to catch you up know, I, yeah it was really great to catch up with you and you know and kind of chat and hit like all these different topics um you know um you know, I wish you luck in, um, yeah. in Steve Mulaney 4.0. Yeah. And, um, you know, stay in touch. It'd be great to, you know, chat with you. You know, I'm sure I will. You know, I'm sure we'll kind of be chatting. Well, you know, I'm building a here. house in uh, Narragansett. Ah. I'm going to have to go out fishing with you one time. Uh, that's a great. Hey. You know, it's like um, tuna fishing was a little bit off this year, you know. Yeah. Uh, but if you're up for that, yeah. You yeah. know, love to like, uh, you know, go out with you, bring you out there. Great.